Hey, great day. So before we get into today's podcast episode, I have a huge announcement. We are bringing back the Abundant CEO Private Practice Bootcamp. This is a three-day virtual party that I'm inviting all mental health therapists that either want a private practice in the next six to 12 months, or you already have had a private practice, maybe for the last year, five years, or even over a decade, but you want to understand wealth and cash flow in your company. You want to learn how to show up as a CEO and work more on your business versus in your business. Maybe you want to assess the health and the wealth of your current or future private practice to really see if you're on the right path to increasing your revenue, to growing your practice, maybe to streams of income later, or maybe even a group practice. Bottom line is you will walk away from this three-day bootcamp clarifying and understanding your niche, understanding how to show up as an abundant CEO, and most importantly, assessing the health of what you believe is a profitable private practice. So head down to the show notes and go to the link drtk.com forward slash links and sign up for the bootcamp. I'll see you there. Now let's head into the podcast episode. Hey, my name is Dr. TK, and on this podcast show, we will uncover abundant tools to help you become the CEO of your business and your life. I am a mom and wife who merged my knowledge as a clinical psychologist and professor for over 20 years into building a multi-six-figure mental health business and seven-figure digital product business, serving others and doing what I love. Now, I believe that you can make a wildly abundant living unapologetically while also dreaming big, enjoying life, and making a huge impact in your community. This is the Therapist Deserve Abundance Podcast. Hey, great day, great day. Welcome back to the podcast episode. This is your host, Dr. TK. So I am still on cloud nine. We just finished uh, enrolling some epic therapists in the Dope Therapist Academy last week. And then we also announced the, the big news in terms of our new uh, bachelor's program um, in our therapist community for business growth and mindset growth called Highly Qualified. And so let's talk about it for a quick second. And then we're going to get into, can you have more than one niche in your private practice? And we're also going to talk about where that question came from. And so if you are new to this podcast, I definitely want to say welcome. I am a clinical psychologist. I am a wife, mom, a um, therapist, business coach. I am a speaker. I am an author. But what I really pride myself on is that I help people reshift their mind set to think abundantly and create systems for their business and locate a life. You know, if you watch my stories on Instagram. And so I just love, love talking to the community. I really love determining like, what is it that you would like me to talk about based on what you see me um, do and, or things that I have had, whether it be business, personal life, and you know, all those things. And so I know that a lot of people like this podcast episode because we see the downloads and um, over time, I've just recognized that I am yearning to go deeper, but I only want to go deeper with people that I know I'm going deeper with, if that makes sense. Like, you know, in a public podcast, like I love it. It's definitely served its purpose in my business um, with me being able to connect with awesome therapists. But the only thing is, I don't know who y'all are. Like, unless you go into my DM or 
if you're in one of our programs, you say like, oh, I heard the podcast episode. I wouldn't even know that you you heard them, you know? And so when we have other um, types of services, whether it's connected to an email address or behind a paid wall, um, that's the only way I will know that you, I'm going to say exist in terms of, you know, we, we will connect on some level. Right. And so I realized over time that I wanted to go deeper. Um, I did not want to go wider, meaning I just don't want to keep adding products for every single problem that a therapist has, because I realized that a lot of therapists have been paralyzed with too much information, even though they ask for it. But they realize that they can't take action on all of those things. So the other day, the last podcast episode, if you just go back one, I would definitely highly recommend it is that we announced, um, you know, the context of the history behind it, but we announced that we opened up our new program called Highly Qualified Endorse Yourself. And so just think about that program as a syllabus for your business and for your mindset to actually thrive in business. It is a no fluff, you know, from time to time, I may use a a couple of profanity words if I'm, you know, in a moment, I'm just letting you know right now, Uh, but not too much, you know, but I just want to be clear because some people are new to me and sometimes it could be off-putting, you know what I'm saying? but it's not all the time. I'm, I'm not like throwing no F-bombs, you know what I'm saying? Like every single podcast or something like that. But I did want to say that because sometimes people don't know that and then it catches them off guard. Um, but my goal is to build a community um, with like-minded therapists, more like mentorship, um, not coaching. Um, I wanted something that was also a prerequisite or can serve as a prerequisite for our private practice program because we have found that there have been some common trends amongst therapists who want to have it, they want to invest in themselves, but maybe I was the first person that they saw who did what I did, at least at the level that I do it. Um, a lot of therapists may be dealing with perfectionism, limiting beliefs and imposter syndrome, and just deep dive, like fear and anxiety, right. About making the decision to go all in on them. Or I'm going to say even making the decision to actually be a entrepreneur that then shifts their mindset into business ownership. So we're going to be addressing things like mindset mastery for entrepreneurs. I'm going to be going deeper in my personal and career journey and making it applicable to various therapists on various levels. Um, Just because you have a private practice, please note, it doesn't mean that you own a business because we can be all entrepreneurs. That's behavior. We can go out there and make money, but can your business ultimately grow and you scale back? Is that possible? Have you thought about that? Have you built the systems or at least a team member to help you with that? We're also going to be covering things like branding. And of course, we're going to talk about private practice startup, whether it be clarifying your niche. We'll come back to that today in this topic. We're going to talk about, can you just be committed to a one-year vision? In DTA, we focus on a five-year vision. In our scale programs, we say, let's throw some spaghetti at the wall. What really do you want in 10 years? And then of course, let's scale it back to the next one year, then to 90 days. But let's not overwhelm ourselves. Can we just look at the next 12 months and then can we break that down into what are you doing tomorrow? You know, and so we're going to talk about some basic setup tools um, for your private practice if you don't have one yet or if you're using it more as checks and balances. But the biggest part, of course, beyond the lessons is going to be the community connection.
Okay. So if you want to learn more about the highly qualified program, you can go and listen to the previous podcast episode where I go a lot deeper, but you, if you want to sign up, go ahead and do that, um, at drtk.com forward slash links. So let's go ahead and get into this podcast episode today. So most recently, um, in, during the bootcamp launch phase, meaning open enrollment for our Academy, I typically will survey my audience, but this time, because I have a broadcast channel, it's called premium, you know, therapist. I wanted to survey the individuals in there just to see like, what do they wish they would have known before they started their private practice? And so there were a wide range of responses, but it ranged from uh, things around marketing, mindset, money, taxes, the actual real cost of how much it actually starts, you know, to, to start a private practice and, you know, a little bit more. And so I decided, let me pull one of these into the podcast today and share with you a story. Um, but I'm sure that you would get something out of it about how I chose to select my niche because I've shared the story a little bit before and not this deep to as I am today. But I know that no matter where you are in your mental health business world, this will apply whether it's for private practice or any other stream of income. Okay. So a little bit about me. I got my bachelor's in psychology. I moved into the master's program at my same college because they granted me tuition, right, for free. And I really just resonated with the professors there as well in the master's program. And so I knew the PsyD program existed, but I chose to get my master's degree. And during the time of me getting my master's degree in clinical psychology, I started seeing that after, or actually in the first year, some of the students were already planning on transferring out to a PsyD program. But I chose just to wait. I'm like, let me make sure that I really want to get a doctorate before I waste my time. Like, let me make sure I'm, let me just graduate. <laughs> so I just graduated with my master's. And then I realized, of course, when I went into my doctoral program, I was able to skip a couple of classes. Some of them I had to test out of them. Or if it was like psychological assessment, I had to pull in all of my psych uh, testing reports. I had to talk to the uh, lead psych professor for testing. And then I chose to only weigh, for example, like uh, one assessment class. I chose to take stats over because I had to do the dissertation. And I'm like, okay, let's be smart about this. But there were a lot of classes that I weighed, like cultural diversity and just all those things. So it didn't mean that I was able to skip and not have a year of classes. It just meant that when some of my friends had four to five classes, the first year I had four, but then the second year I had three. The third year, which was the last year before internship, I literally had two the first semester and one class the last semester when they were going all day. You know, so in my PsyD program, actually, let me back up. I started learning about private practice in my master's program when I had a college professor. She was my assessment professor. I fell in love with testing at that time. Um, you know, she got to know me and then I asked her to be my mentor. And so from time to time, we would walk around campus like on her breaks or if I knew that she had to go to another part of the campus, I would say, hey, can I walk with you? She would let me like pick her brain, which was pretty cool. And we started talking about like, what is the difference between a PhD program versus PsyD? What is the difference between an MFT versus a, a PsyD? Because with a master's in clinical psychology, I couldn't do therapy. I would always have to have supervision, like there's no license. So I would have to go get a PhD or PsyD. So she was able to talk to me about that. But she also had a part-time private practice. And she talked very 
highly of being able to have a flexible schedule. That's actually the first person I learned it from. So when I went into my doctoral program, I got the opposite message from professors. Don't do it. Um, Or some people did not have experience, so they really couldn't speak to it. Or some people would say they had a private practice, but they still felt burnt out because student loans were eating them alive. And I was like, there has to be somebody who can talk about like something positive, you know, about private practice. And so everything to me happens for a reason. I had a first year professor. She taught abnormal psychology. I think that no psychopath, it was called psychopathology, but abnormal psych, but it was, uh, abnormal psychology or psychopathology one and two. I did love how my doctoral program structured our, our courses. So for example, in the DSM four TR, that's what we were trained on at that time. We covered all childhood and, um, you know, just general diagnoses. And then we covered all personality disorders in, uh, semester two, right? So we were able to deep dive and really truly understand the diagnoses for what they looked like. And then we even did like a group therapy session. We had to take on the identity of like the uh, disorders. That was like so funny, right? It, It was fun. And so nevertheless, like I learned a lot, but that professor had a summer program for kids and it was pretty dope how she set it up. Um, it was in Marin County, um, near San Francisco and Marin County is equivalent to like the Beverly Hills of San Francisco. Right. But Marin also has a area that's hood, you know? And so what she did, which I loved is she, you know, the kids who were able to afford it paid for the camp. Then she gave a scholarship to some of the kids in that neighborhood that could not afford to go. They were able to come to the second half of the, let's just say eight week camp. I don't know if it was six or eight weeks, but I was one of the camp counselors. And to me, that was my first time actually seeing firsthand possibilities of what could happen even when you're a full-time college professor and you run a full-time clinic. She had a clinic with her partner. Her partner was a psychiatrist. So I just thought it was like so dope that she led us into her world. She invited all the camp counselors at the end to her home and like deep, deep Marin woods, but it was fire. And I literally just told myself, I even told her, I'm like, I want to be like you when I grow up, like certain parts of her, you know? And so I really liked the way that she curated her life. And so as I got exposed in a good way, I also moved up the ranks in terms of a student body. I really love leadership. I've always been a part of like in the church choir, I was the treasurer or church secretary. Um, in high school, I ended up being the high school president of my class. Um, in college, not so much. I was just living life and having fun and partying. But then when I got to my doctoral program, I, I think my second year, I was like the secretary. The third year, I was the treasurer. And then the fourth year, my, my year, I became the president of my class. Well, actually the whole grad school technically. And so um, that was pretty cool. And so because I was the president, I was able to clearly meet with the class and I was able to, we were able to vote on how we wanted to spend the funds that are in like that pot of money for students. So, you know, we had get togethers and things like that, but I said, you know what? My first year I was reading a book on private practice and everybody around me was like, what the heck? But remember I did my master's degree. So my brain was just moving a little bit faster, potentially than a lot of my other counterparts, which that was their first year in grad school. And I'm like, nah, I'm technically in my third year, you know? So I knew I wanted to have a private practice. And so during my last year there before internship as a president, I requested that we be exposed a little bit more to um, private practice. 
And I love that our professor that was like over student body, they were very open to ideas. And so um, I noticed that in my upper division classes, even when like my counterparts were not in class with me, because remember I was skipping classes kind of, I started being exposed to upper division classmates that were already going through the internship process through APA, it's called APIC, KPIC, like just different ones um, for a doctoral program. And some of them were already working, like even as an assistant or a secretary at a private practice. So I would, I was able to have these conversations being exposed to technically mentorship by my peers without even knowing it. But again, it's feeding that mindset of what is possible. So what does all this have to do with, can you have more than one niche in your private practice? The short answer is yes. But I also believe that we should take a step back and you want to determine what is your main niche. If you walk down the street, what do you want to be known for? When people hear your name or they see the name of your business or they see you, what do they want to know you for? If you say, well, I want to be known as a speaker, but what do you speak on, right? If you serve adolescents, what is your niche within adolescence? Go that deep, okay? At least so you can talk about it. It doesn't mean you can't serve other people. So in that last year, I said, can we have a workshop on a Saturday? Because that's the best time for everybody to come outside of class and practicum. You know, can we have somebody come in about private practice? So they found somebody. His name was Keith Sutton. You can look him up. He's in San Francisco somewhere, Marin County. Um, he, he's fired now. But um, he has like a lot of therapists like all over. But he came to our grad school and he spoke. And when he spoke, it was all but six of us in that room. And when I look back, I just think like that is a very accurate representation of what it looks like right now. Like a whole lot of people going to say they're an entrepreneur and even open up a private practice, but only about a handful of people are actually going to be fully to their, you know, the way that they see it successful. Right. So I remember we had asked him like, you know, what is private practice like? Who do you see? Uh, who is your favorite client? Like all those things. Right. But I just I don't want to go into the nitty gritty, but I just want to tell you like the pieces that I'm, I'm able to pull out for this episode. So some of the things he has shared is that he was um, only private pay. He already had had a mentor before he went into his own private practice. So that did help him out. So I was like, hashtag mentorship. Got it. He was um, getting paid $150 per client. And I was like, oh my God, he balling. Now this is back then, right? And I was like, back then, I thought I was balling because I literally counted, me and my friends, we were like, all we need is five clients and we'll be balling. <laughs> and like, I'm like, if I were to say that right now, man, I'd be homeless in California. Like literally, okay? Blessed to get paid $150 per client, but that's not gonna pay even for my student loans, right? Let alone my mortgage. And so- I always had thought about private practice in addition to a nine to five job. And I think that's where the number of five clients came from. But really what I want you to take from this outside of like those cool things is that he said, your niche will find you. And I was like, what is a niche? You know? So he was like, y'all say who I want to serve. And I'm like, he was like, that's a niche. So he did our first workshop on niche, like in five seconds, super casual, you know? And then he said, I said, well, how did your niche find you? You know? And He said, oh, well, I was already working with kids and then I happened to get a kid in my private practice. It was one. He did therapy with the kid. The kid happened to have ADHD. He did so well that in that area that he was doing his private practice in, it's about word of mouth. So the parent told all the parents. And then all of a sudden he started building a caseload, not just of kids, but kids that either needed to be tested for ADHD or had been diagnosed with ADHD. And guess what? 
when he even came to the school, he does, he has a therapy dog. That's when I even was introduced to that. He trained his dog to be a therapy dog. I think it was a golden retriever. So his dog was always in the session on the floor in his private practice office. But what did he do? And I saw this when I was in that summer camp with that professor. She had two dogs. She had a hyper dog, the younger dog. And then she had a slower dog, like just chill dog. He was the older dog. When the kids were hyper, she would give them the younger dog and say, take the dog for a lap. Hence, the kids will calm down because they tired. When the kid was um, maybe sad and they just needed some time to be mindful, she would tell them to go get the older dog. Just take some time to be grounded. Now, granted, I didn't know none of this stuff when I was in school, like grounded, mindfulness. Like we started learning that stuff like later, you know, and honestly, a lot of it came to life when I was an internship, right? Because you can learn all these things, but you don't remember that you learned them kind of thing. And so he was the same way. But what he did is the dog was calm that he had, but you know, if the kid wasn't allergic or anything like that, he would like, the kids would go down and play with the dog that would help them open up and talk. But bottom line is he said that because I showed up with my gift and I showcased my gift, well, you do good therapy. Automatically people will become your testimonial in so many words. And I was like, Man, you good. Like, I didn't even know nothing about marketing, but I'm like, this just sounds dope, right? And so I still can tell you that verbatim. And that y'all was when I was 28. I'm 43. That was a long time ago, right? And so that story stuck with me. And even though I may not have been thinking about it on a surface level, I took it into my business without any coaching per se, right? So my history is I was working, you know, I had worked in group homes, but my primary job, once I graduated, first I worked at a high school during the market crash. Cause that's when I graduated, which was not a cool time to try to find a job. And then within a year I was in, um, the County job in LA for department of mental health. And I chose to go into the juvenile camp. And so what I chose to do when I decided after being there for a year and a half, I'm like, let me just go ahead and open up my private practice. I'm going to start building my caseload slow on the days that I'm off. And so I thought, why don't I, this is what you want to think about. And if you've already had a niche, just think about how you crafted your niche. Okay. I thought to myself, if I already love seeing teenagers and that's who I see all day long at my job and I'm not burnt out, could I still see teenagers in my private practice up to transitional age youth, like 24. Cause a lot of those kids in the camp were also like 18, 19, you know, but I don't mind, you know, to me, the, the Tay overlap with adolescence is just, they out of school, you know? So I really loved like my core group was like 14, 15 up to 24. I loved that group. And so I said, for me in private practice, it would be a no brainer. Why? Because simplicity scales, write that down simplicity scales. Okay. So I'm going to do what I already do at my job. Of course, I need to market and find those clients though, but I'm going to pull out the parts of what I already do at my job and I'm going to pull them into my practice. So for example, I know that I do well speaking in front of a group of people. So maybe to get referrals, I need to go speak at some schools. I know that I can actually get in my car because I was working in the field as well. I can get in my car and go to a kid's school as long as I have permission and, you know, waivers and stuff are signed from the kid, the caregiver or parent and the school. If the school has a space for me, I don't even need to see the kid at my office. I would probably, if they don't mind and it doesn't hinder their mental health, um, I wouldn't mind seeing them at their school as long as we got a private space to meet. 
Okay. So I just took how I was showing up with my gift at my job. And that's how I chose to easily and effortlessly with marketing, of course, with some lessons learned during that process to open up my private practice. But guess what happened? Same thing like the guy that I was exposed to in grad school, all of a sudden, these parents are very tight knit where my private practice office was. So they started spreading the word to PTA members, school therapists, school counselors, teachers, um, sports, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it became so cool where I wouldn't even use the social media the first couple of years of my business. So when the clients or students ask me in a boot camp, what proof do you have that social, if you don't want to do social media, you know, you can do other things. I'm not saying that we don't live in a different time and that a lot of people are not online. But what I am saying is that first you want to identify your niche. Then you have to figure out where your niche hangs out. Then you need to go to the place where they hang out and you have to be okay with trying new things to get in front of them, right? So as I started to look up and look at my caseload in my private practice, this is how the evolution of my niche evolved, okay? So again, I was seeing all teenagers and transitional age youth. A lot of them, not all of them, came in with the referral very similar to the kids I was seeing in jail. The only difference was the kids in jail had like a crime, you know, like a charge or something. So these kids were being referred to because they were resistant to help. They were, you know, within potentially the behavioral spectrum. Some of them, of course, had really, truly underlining depression, trauma, or anxiety, but that wasn't identified by maybe someone else because they were acting out, right? And also, I'm just going to add for myself, I was already groomed working in a jail to not dress up. Now, it doesn't mean that I was not presentable, but dressing up for me was like a nice blouse, but with Jordans and some true religion jeans. Now, with teenagers, that's actually making them want to talk to me. I didn't realize how good that would hit it off with kids in my private practice. They were like, aren't you a doctor? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, they were like, huh. But the kids were like, you are so, in so many words, relatable even though I'm like double their age because I didn't look my age, you know? And so, and and the parents too liked that the kid would be so resistant to therapy. And then they would come in the office and the kid could shut up. And a parent was like, oh, they can come every week. (laughs) So when when do you need to talk to me? You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna go sit in the car kind of thing. So it was, I'm not gonna say it was easy to market my private practice, but I will say that it was easier when I was confident with who I wanted to serve, meaning I knew what I was good at. Okay, so over time, what organically started to happen in my private practice within the year and a half that I started is that I naturally, of course, started seeing the families, whether it was a conjoint session or from time to time, I actually wanted to talk to the parents. Well, guess what happens when you start talking to the parents, you do the parenting skills, the social skills for the kids, all that stuff. But then you realize there may be a marital problem. Now, I could refer the parent out. But I started to recognize that I enjoyed having those conversations. So it wouldn't be those parents, but then I started adding that to my website. This is what I do for parental units. Then it moved from there to a lot of these parental units that I'm starting to attract are also still together. Not just co-parenting. They got relationship problems that are impacting their co-parenting. So now I'm starting to see couples. Then after doing intakes with those couples, 
some of the couples didn't need couples therapy at that time. They, for me, clinically needed to work on their individual baggage. And some of them didn't even have to go back to couples therapy or go find another couples therapist because I may have chosen to see one of them. And at that time I had a group practice. So I also like trained one of my uh, clinicians to see couples or in adults. And so, um, or supervise them. And so what would happen is if a person or a couple came in and I realized clinically that if they worked on their individual baggage, that potentially the couple's issue would be resolved. Or if not, they can still do family therapy or couples therapy or whatnot. I said, you know, y'all talk, which one of y'all want to stay with me? And the other one is going to go to the other therapist, but please note we have the same style, right? And so they chose, we never had an issue and they just had to sign a waiver that me and the other clinician could talk so that we could not exchange details about what they shared with us individually, but like, what are the common, um, themes of the session that we can work on collaboratively in terms of treatment planning so that we can make sure that they're still technically working on, you know, marital stuff, right? But maybe their individual things are getting in the way of that. And so that was the evolution of my niche or niches in my private practice. One-on-one kids led to their parents, led to family units and couples, led to the couples that then led to the individual adults. And over time, I may have had like three kids or teenagers on my caseload. I stopped seeing the littles like under five because I was seeing some of them, not too many, like two or three at a time. Um, But over time, I just started saying, you know, I'm only seeing 16 and up. And then I have a certain amount of space because it does take a different level of energy to see family units or couples, right? So in a future episode, we can definitely talk more about the evolution of my niche. If you have specific questions, make sure that you head over to Instagram and join that broadcast channel. And when I poll, you know, put a question in there, make sure that you participate because I'm pulling out questions from what you all are saying about what you wish you would have known or what you do want to know. And I will pull them out on the podcast. Okay. Um, But I also just want to add again, if you want to join us and dig deeper into your mindset as an individual, as the entrepreneur and the business owner, but you're a person first. Let's talk about perfectionism, imposter syndrome, mindset. What does it really, really take? I'm talking about behavior to own a business and grow it because it's not just templates. It's not even just a system. It's collectively a whole lot of pieces of a puzzle put together. Let's talk about it in our program, Highly Qualified. So again, if you want to learn more about that program and go ahead and secure your spot and join us in that community and start your lessons on autopilot where you don't have to be responsible for getting dressed to show to no coaching call. I just want to mentor you throughout the month in your pocket, in your ear. Let me do that. And then of course you can connect with other awesome therapists. Make sure to go to the show notes, drtk.com forward slash links and sign up for Highly Qualified. All right. I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Fire me up. You just finished another epic episode of the Therapist Deserve Abundance podcast. Now I know what you're thinking. That flew by way too fast. So if you want more, please head down to the show notes for additional abundant resources. And if you're looking for a new tribe of abundant therapists, just like yourself to connect with, connect with me on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych. Until the next episode, live abundantly.